and welcome to The Bunker, your need to know on news and politics seven days a week. I'm Ros Taylor. Inhumane. That's how the Chief Inspector of Prisons described jails in England and Wales. Prison has got to be a punishment. It needs to deter people from committing crimes and punish them when they have. No one questions that. But Britain's jails are not just horrible, they're also overcrowded. So what would happen if we stopped handing down short jail sentences? Danny Shaw is a former BBC Home Affairs correspondent and now a commentator on crime and justice. Welcome to The Bunker, Danny. Hi, Roz. Good to be here. You've been covering crime and justice for quite a long time. Has it ever been this bad? I think what is really bad is that the entire criminal justice system isn't functioning properly. So it's not just prisons, but it's the courts which are backlogged with cases uh, that are being delayed. Um, 65,000 or so in the Crown Courts across England and Wales, which means long waiting times for victims, for witnesses and defendants. Then you've got the very low charging rates, so very few crimes are actually resulting in a suspect being charged, under 6% uh, across all crimes, and obviously that varies between, between crime types. And what that is leading to is a sort of diminution of confidence in the justice system and the ability of police to actually take action. We're seeing a lot of concern around shoplifting. You have the situation with the police who are sort of recovered numerically from having their numbers cut uh, during the austerity years uh, by around 20,000 officers from 2010 to 2017. But they haven't got back the experience it's a very inexperienced police workforce and also some of the civilian staff numbers are still really down, which means a lot of police are, are backfilling important work, but they're not necessarily on the front line. So I think what's really bad is that the entire criminal justice system feels broken. We have had situations before with crisis in prisons. So this bit doesn't feel as bad in that sense but it's very hard to see a route out of it because the rest of the system is so mangled. If, as you say, there are fewer charges, and we know that violent crime is down, although offences like shoplifting, as you said, are up, why are more people in jail? The main reason that we have record numbers of people in jail, uh, well above the 88,000 figure, never been as, as high as it has been, uh, is because people are spending longer in prison the sentences have got longer over the past 10, 15 years, particularly for the most violent crimes for sexual offences as well. And, you know, I think a lot of us would say, well, that's not a bad thing. I think there was a time when someone would commit a, a most ghastly, horrendous uh, rape or a serious violence uh, offence and just get a few years custody. And, and I remember sort of looking on at that and thinking, that just doesn't feel right. The, the punishment's not fitting the crime there and it's not giving enough time for that person to spend in prison to sort of be rehabilitated. So they come out and they don't commit another offence. So I think it was right that there has been a ratcheting up uh, of sentences for the most violent um people and, and sexual predators. But what it has done has meant that the population in prisons has expanded. Um, and at the same time, uh, the capacity hasn't increased to keep pace with it. The, the other issue is that there are many more prisoners remanded into custody than before. The numbers are around 15,000 
out of a population of 85,000. So these are prisoners who have been charged with an offence. They're awaiting trial, or in some cases, they have been convicted and they're awaiting sentence. They're called remand prisoners. Um, And some of them may go on to be acquitted. And even when they're not acquitted and they're convicted, they they may go on not to get a prison sentence. So that's not a good situation that you've got so many of those people in custody as well. And that's partly because of this huge backlog in the courts, which has delayed court hearings, which has meant that we've got a bulge in the number of remand prisoners. And it's also because the rules have sort of got tougher and the courts, I think, are less likely to give people bail. They're worried about people committing offences if they're on bail. So you've got a combination of this big increase in remand prisoners, this sort of uh, long-term hike in in prison sentences, and also uh, there has been an increase in the number of prisoners who have been recalled to prison, i.e. sent back to prison for breaching the terms of their licence condition. If they're out on licence with conditions attached, even a fairly minor breach can mean uh, them being uh, back behind bars again. And there's there's been an uptick in that as well. And that's one of the things I want to ask you about, because the Ministry of Justice is going to take various steps to cut the prison population. It's going to let out some people a bit early. It's going to deport foreign offenders if it can. And the courts are going to act on a presumption that sentences of less than 12 months will be suspended. In other words, that you won't go to jail unless you commit another offence in that time. And the Prison Reform Trust has welcomed that approach. Do you think it's the right one? I think there are two things we've got to distinguish these. There were a series of emergency measures uh, taken by the Justice Secretary, Alex Chalk, to deal with the fact that they basically run out of places in prisons. Um, They've tried all sorts of of sort of temporary steps over the last year or so. They're using police stations to hold prisoners in temporarily. It's it's called Operation Safeguard. I think there were 400 police uh, cells made available. There's been an instruction that's gone out to judges to sort of think about the prison capacity if they're sentencing people in borderline cases, in cases where it could be custody or it might be a community sentence, to take that into account. That's something else that they've done. They've also made use of places in open prisons because there is a bit of spare capacity there to sort of send prisoners into those jails, perhaps not necessarily where they should be. So there have been a number of emergency steps And this was the final kind of bunch of emergency measures that they had to take, the early release scheme being the key one. And that can kick in pretty much straight away. I don't think the government have really any option other than to do that because of the situation it's it's found itself in, which, which I have to say, Roz, I put down to a grotesque failure of planning by the Ministry of Justice. They knew that the prison population was going up. It was forecast to go up and they failed to put in place the cells, the capacity that was necessary, or to take the steps earlier to try and reduce the pressures. So emergency measures, I don't think they had an alternative. The longer term plan, which Alex Chalk has announced, you know, the key one there is around this presumption against short sentences, sentences of under 12 months. So the courts, you know, will not be able to send people to prison for 12 months or less you know, unless there are very, very good reasons. Now, this is not going to start immediately. It requires legislation. We presume that legislation will be announced in the King's speech. And then who knows when it's going to be scheduled, when it's going to be de- debated and when it when it comes into effect. You know, it could be we could be months away. 
I would have to say that I think we've got to look at the wording of that very, very, very carefully, because I think it's all the devil is in the detail with that. If you draw that too broadly, then you're not going to give the courts any scope whatsoever to send people to prison for short spells. But if you make too many exceptions, then it becomes a meaningless power as well. So I think it's I think it's all in the detail. There does seem to be an enormous difference between 11 months in jail and being allowed to go free, provided you don't do it again. I, I saw a case recently near, near me, in fact, where someone convicted of sexual assault had a suspended sentence. And although, as you say, this hasn't come into effect yet, clearly they, they suspended the sentence and didn't send him to jail because it would have been less than 12 months. And there was a feeling that it was completely inappropriate. Do you feel that's that's going to perhaps anger some of the public? Yeah, I think the government's got some difficult um, decisions to make. Look, if, if you break down prison terms of less than 12 months, 13% were for shop theft. Now, we know there is a huge drive to take shoplifting more seriously and to punish offenders uh, when they're caught uh, and convicted. So if you're now saying that cases of shop theft will no longer incur a prison term of under 12 months. You're going to take out you know, a whole number of, of shoplifters who will get a suspended sentence instead. I don't think that's the message that the government wants to put out. So are you going to include also uh, people convicted of violent offences? 9% um, sentenced to less than 12 months have been convicted of common assault and battery. 8% for assaulting an emergency worker. These are serious crimes. Are they going to be suspended? Knife possession, 6% of those sentenced to less than 12 months were convicted of knife possession. I would argue that's an incredibly serious offence that should always, apart from the most exceptional circumstances and for younger people, incur a prison term. We're talking about adults here, by the way. So I think the government's got some really difficult decisions to make because, you know, my experience of the courts and talking to magistrates and judges is that they use custody sparingly. Custody is not the default sentence that they go for in most of the cases that come before them. They only reserve it for serious crimes and for people who have had fines, who've had community orders, who've just been a nuisance. And actually, you just, you've run out of options. So, you know, you're going to prison for six months. You're going to prison for 12 months. Let's see if that kind of can break the pattern of offending. There was an analysis done for the Ministry of Justice in published in 2019, and it found that the vast majority of people over the age of 18, given sentences of under 12 months, had received a community or suspended sentence before. 81% had served a community order, 49% a suspended prison sentence, 77% had already had a custodial sentence. So you're dealing actually with a group of people who are repeat offenders. So if you take out the option of custody, what are you left with? Justice secretaries have talked about getting rid of short prison sentences or converting them to suspended sentences in the past, but it doesn't happen. What has stopped it happening in the past? Well, I think both political parties, uh, both of the main political parties, Labour and Conservative, have had a bit of a sort of an arms race on to be tough on on sentencing, tough on on, on criminal justice. Uh, We saw it in the Blair years and we've seen it since 2010. An announcement that they're going to 
not impose short or they're going to instruct the courts not to impose short custodial sentences will be seen as being soft for the very reasons because of that list of of crimes that will no longer incur a short prison term and so i think that's why they've been reluctant to do it there was an attempt by david gork in 2019 a serious attempt he was the justice secretary at the time and his prisons minister uh, was rory stewart and they both attempted to try and get this move through. They had backing from Theresa May, who was the Prime Minister. We know that there was political turmoil that summer. Theresa May resigned. Boris Johnson became Prime Minister. David Gork uh, stepped down from his position uh, in the government just before Johnson took over. And with him went that possibility of getting a presumption against short prison sentences on the statute book. And so we've effectively lost four years um, and you know, and now it's been revived by Alex Chalk. There is an alternative to prison sentences, which is cheaper community sentences. What do they actually involve? How how often are they used? Community sentences are very are very commonly used. To give you some figures, there are roughly there are over two hundred, well over two hundred thousand people who are under supervision by the probation service in England and Wales at the moment, and many tens of thousands of those. Uh, will be serving community sentences and and they vary it can be something for example like unpaid work where an offender is required to do a number of hours uh, of work in the community cleaning graffiti you know working in some parkland which is sort of overrun with weeds community sentence can also involve attending a particular course to do with rehabilitation, offending behaviour scheme and anger management uh, programme, a programme to address issues of of drug taking or alcohol misuse. What a community order will always entail is some meetings with with a probation officer uh, who's meant to supervise that community order. Community orders can also involve the use of an electronic tag and a curfew. The re-offending data, and I've got to be clear here, that when we talk about reoffending, what we actually mean uh, is reconviction or recautioning. That's how it's counted. It's not actually if someone's committed a crime, it's whether they've been caught and convicted or cautioned for it. The data on that suggests that community sentences have lower reoffending levels than prison sentences. I am very cautious about the data because the reoffending clock starts from the moment a court order is imposed on someone if they're given a community sentence but it only starts with someone who's 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 been jailed from the moment they're released from prison so think about that for a minute what that actually means is that if someone's in prison for six months or 12 months or 18 months they're not committing any crimes in the community that doesn't count as far as reoffending is concerned but if someone's given a community order, it counts on the moment they're given that community order by the court. I've consistently queried those figures because I think they they exaggerate the the impact of community sentences. But there is a significant difference in in the reoffending rates, which is why there has been a move towards replacing uh, uh, prison sentences with community sentences, and also they're incredibly uh, less expensive. Um, you know, prison sentence costs roughly £47,000 per prisoner per year. A community sentence, I think, depending on what it is, is probably just a few thousand pounds per offender per year. 
will we see in the next few months to a year if this plan goes through more community sentences potentially and fewer custodial sentences if the plan goes through alex chalker said that, that a prison sentence would be suspended in other words someone would be in the community with the threat of prison hanging over them if they breach certain conditions, if they reoffend during that period of time. And they also may be tagged, they may be curfewed, there may be other conditions that they have to attend, courses and so on. So I think we, you know, it is likely that we're going to see more people on community sentences or suspended sentence orders. And the numbers in prison will go down. But as I say, it's very difficult to say what that decrease will be. I mean, the total number of people serving sentences of under three months, uh, sorry, under 12 months, is I think around the, the three to 4,000 mark. But I don't expect all, you know, that the numbers will come down by three to 4,000. It could be even a drop of 500 will make a difference, will ease some of the prison population pressures. And I think that's what the government is probably aiming at, is, is you know, something perhaps in the region of 500 to 1,000. It's very hard to recruit prison staff and probation staff, isn't it? There's a shortage of probation officers. Yeah, I mean, th this is the other problem. There isn't just a shortage of capacity uh, in the prison system of, of, of prison places, but there aren't enough prison officers. There has been a recruitment drive ongoing for the past five or six years, and that is true. And the government, watch out when the government lists their figures, they always go back to 2016, 2017, which is when their recruitment drive started. But if you go back to 2010, the number of frontline prison officers has fallen and the population has got bigger. Now, what, what does that mean? What that means is that someone who's in prison doesn't get the same opportunities as they would in a well-staffed prison where they can be let out of their cell to do education classes, to go to a workshop, uh, to do some training just to get out and get some exercise um, and have a shower. Um, you know, at the moment, they're just in some institutions, there just aren't enough staff to unlock prisoners during the day to do those constructive activities. So they're getting out for one, perhaps two hours a day to do the basics, to pick up their food, to have a shower if they're lucky, you know, to have a you know, short period of exercise. That's it. 22, 23, 24 hours banged up in their cells. That's not going to help rehabilitate anyone. So that's what the shortage of prison officers uh, means. There's also been a crisis in probation as well. Uh, there have been two huge reorganisations in, in probation that have sort of, you know, caused huge upheaval. They left, a, that meant that a lot of experienced probation officers left. So what we have now is an inexperienced workforce. There, is, there has been a big recruitment drive in the past couple of years, which is putting bums on seats. Uh, but it's not just numbers, it's about experience, it's about know-how, it's about confidence of being able to deal with some of the most dangerous people. We may see a new approach if there's a Labour government next year. It's a bit of a cliche to assume that Nordic Scandinavian countries do criminal justice better than we do, but have we got anything to learn from other European countries when it comes to prisons? Well, I think we have. I don't think you can replicate entirely um, another country's approach uh, because you know we have different traditions we have different systems we are you know quite punitive uh, in terms of criminal justice compared to other countries and you can't just sort of suddenly tear up those traditions but you know I do think there is something to look at from other countries which have a lower rate of imprisonment and to 
question uh, whether or not we need to have so many people in prison, particularly lower level offenders and particularly women. You know, the number of women uh, on short sentences for nonviolent crimes, particularly drug offences, is extremely high. It's the majority of the female prison population. It's only it's only around 4,000 women in the prison population. Um, and many of them have families, children. And so I think there is an argument, and I don't think it's particularly controversial to say that we need to look at a different approach for the vast majority of women who are in custody. Some sort of halfway house, uh, some sort of perhaps part-time custody, restrictions in the community, but there has to be a better way. Um, And I think something like that might have cross-party support. Um, There will, of course, always be some very violent women, some women convicted of really serious offences that need to be imprisoned. But for many others, there doesn't have to be. And I I think there are other European countries we can look to um, for examples of that. But I'm I, again, I'm very sceptical about just, you know, copying another country's approach and saying, well, well, that can work here. And look, their reoffending rates are lower uh, and their crime rates are lower. These things are far, far more complicated. Keir Starmer used to be the director of public prosecutions, as we know. I think we can assume that he will take a fairly hard line approach to sentencing. But do you see flickers of a different approach to the prison system and the probation system and the criminal justice system generally in Labour policy at the moment? I think in terms of justice policy, I think it's a bit early to say we've got a new Shadow Justice Secretary, Shabana Mahmood, who's just taken over. And I think, you know, they will be developing some of their policies and approaches. I do think that the Conservatives government has done them a favour through this early release plan that they put in place last week. If that problem had not been addressed or if it had been left until after the next election, then I think if Labour gets in, Labour would have to make those very difficult decisions about an early release scheme. The Conservatives have done it and they may be uh, counting on the scheme on on being able to end the scheme before the election so they can say we introduced it but we finish it now. I think it's politically that's got a bit easier uh, for Labour. So, um, you know, in terms of that, I think their policy still needs some development about what exactly they're going to do. You know, they're not going to have great scope in terms of money. We know that they're keeping within sort of very strict financial uh, rules They have said they're going to provide the extra prison places. The problem with that is getting planning permission, finding the places, designing them, building them takes years and years and years. And sometimes there is local opposition, not always because prisons are actually very good, secure places for employment, provide long term stable employment for a lot of people. But not everyone wants a prison in their backyard. So, you know, on that front, on the sort of the wider issues, you know, in terms of the court system and so on. I'm not sure what the plan is. Danny, thanks so much for joining us. You're very welcome. Thank you. And if you enjoy The Bunker, you can support us by searching Patreon Bunker Podcast. You can choose how much to donate and for how long. I'm Ros Taylor, and thanks for listening. Bunker Daily was presented by Ros Taylor. The group editor was Andrew Harrison, the managing editor was Jacob Jarvis, and the producers were
Chris Jones, and me, Alex Reese. Art direction by James Parrott. Music by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production. <laughs> <laughs>